Well, good morning. Welcome to part 17 of our series in the book of John that we're calling Reflecting the Light. Going all the way back to John 1, it talks about Jesus being the light of the world. And we as disciples, we are followers of Jesus. We are called to reflect the light of Him to everyone that we encounter. And He's tasked us with that. So we are studying the book of John this year as we learn to love and lead like Jesus, as we learn to follow Him and reflect Him, we want to study His life. What did Jesus do? How did He respond? And so today we're in chapter 8 of John. And I'm going to take you to a story that is a very familiar story for people that have been in church for a while. If you haven't been in church for a while, you may have never heard this story, and that is okay. You will hear something that is pretty amazing. But I want you to see this. this. It's widely talked about, a widely debated story. And it's a great example of how we can learn from Jesus on how to respond to those that are trying to trip us up or trap us, make us stumble or fall, and how to respond to people that are struggling with sin. So with that in mind, I want to take a minute and read John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, if you'll join me in that. It says that Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon had gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says that we are to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, let the one who has never sinned throw first the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, sir, she said. And Jesus said, Where do I, or neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now what was pretty amazing about this is, or well, just something to think about, and I don't ever want to assume we don't use the term adultery much anymore. So if, if maybe you're watching and you're, like, you're, you're thinking, well, what is adultery? It's basically having an affair with somebody outside the bond of marriage, especially specifically having an affair with somebody that's married to somebody else, uh, a sexual relationship. And so in the Old Testament times, that was, uh, that was a cause for death in the Jewish culture. It was written, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Now, when you read this passage, most of us are automatically drawn to the fact that Jesus does not condemn, condemn this woman of adultery. He doesn't tell her how terrible she is. He doesn't throw things at her. He does exactly probably the opposite of what many would think the church would respond, or maybe for those that are outside the church think Jesus might respond. And according to the law of Moses, like I said, they should have been killed. If you look at Leviticus, Going all the way back to the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 says this, and this is where the law was written. It says, If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man 
and the woman who committed adultery must be put to death. That's pretty serious, right? Man, in our culture today, adultery and affairs seem to be prevalent, and we see it through brokenness in marriages and brokenness in relationships. It is a sin because it's not only a sin against God, but it's a sin against others. It's, it's one of those that affects not only your relationship with God, but it affects all of your relationships. So you have this going on. And, and what's really curious about this and where people kind of s- struggle with it is the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, these are the ones that were trying to trap Jesus. We've talked about this. They've been trying to arrest Jesus since he healed the man in the temple on the Sabbath we talked about it more than a year earlier, they had been looking for ways to find some excuse to arrest Jesus, to have him thrown into jail. The problem was is that his teaching was sound, and every time they tried to arrest him, like in chapter 7, they said, the, the people that went to arrest him, they asked, why didn't you arrest him? His words, they're so powerful. How could we arrest him? And so Jesus have been speaking. Now they're trying to trap him. They're trying to set a trap for him. There's so much speculation around this topic. Why wasn't the man there and all this other things. And I'm not going to get into all that. I will tell you that that some scholars believe that there was no affair at all, that they just brought a woman before Jesus and said that she was in an affair just to see what he would do and how he would respond as, as a part of that trap. Others believe that you know they just brought the woman and they ignored the sin of the man you don't i don't know we we don't have that background we can't speak to that all that we know is that in scripture it talks about a woman caught in the act of adultery so we're going to assume that she actually was and the religious leaders were trying to trap him trying to get him to stumble they did this several times with Jesus with taxes all kinds of things trying to get him to stumble so maybe you've heard this story many times, and maybe you're thinking about you know, where you think it's going. I'm going to flip and go a little different direction today than maybe what you've heard before. And if you've heard something like this before, that's fine. It's great. It's good to hear it again. But I want to focus, because our filter for reading the book of John is, how do we reflect the light of Jesus? How do we respond and act and do the things that Jesus did? And so I want to look at this from the fact that they were trying to trap him. And so my first point today is the trap of the enemy. We're not exempt. The enemy is constantly trying to tear us down, to trap us, to get us to stumble, to ruin our testimony about him, about Jesus. If we're reflecting the light of Jesus and we're showing that light to the people that are around us, that mission that we have to lead others to Christ, if we stumble, if we fall, That reflects on that. So the enemy is constantly trying to set traps for us. Trying to take us out of the game. Think about over the the years. It was really bad in the 80s and we're seeing a rise of it again. Um, Think about the high profile religious leaders or Christian leaders that have fallen to the temptation of sin. You can... They're they're all over the internet. And the problem is is that so many people follow them, they respect them, they, they, they hear their words, and then they see that they've had an affair or they have a drug problem or, you know, embezzled money, whatever that may be. 
when they fall into the trap of the enemy, it discredits their whole message. Then you begin to question, well, did anything they do, was any of it of God? And so it sows seeds of doubt into the Christian world. And that trap can happen even in our lives. We can have traps, things that will disqualify us from or hurt our witness to the people that are around us, maybe hurt our families, hurt our marriages. And so the enemy is constantly trying to trip us up. And the more we strive to be like Christ, the more he, we are going to be on his radar. He's going to try and trip us up. You know, Jesus said, they, they will hate you because of me. So Jesus told his disciples, and we are his disciples, they will hate you because of me. People are watching us. Now, we don't have to lead perfect lives. There's, none of us do. But we do need to be mindful of our actions and how they affect the witness to others. We need to be pushing in towards Jesus and make sure our actions and our attitudes reflect Him so that it impacts the people around us in a positive way, drawing them towards Christ. Again, we're not perfect. And even in our imperfection, even when we do stumble in sin, that we are quick to recognize it and to repent of it and to acknowledge it. Now, I want to talk about some of the traps that the enemy lay in and, and how we can avoid them. And I'm going to go to Scripture for, for a basis of some of those traps. That, that there are as many traps and sins as there are people that walk the earth. So we're no, by no means going to lay it all out there. But I want you to hear this out of Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to look at verses 19 through 21. It says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, follow the desires of your heart. The sinful nature, that is our human carnal nature. We are sinful. We, don't, we try to lie to make ourselves look better. We, and it's different for each one of us. But listen to the sinful nature. The results are very clear when we follow those desires. Sexual immorality, which we already talked about, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm okay on all those. Quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty big list that encompasses a wide range of sins that when you think about all the sins that fall into those categories, it's huge. And the enemy's constantly trying to trip us up. Constantly trying to get us to stumble and fall, or even to sow seeds of doubt in the people that are looking at our lives. The enemy's going to do everything he can to discredit us. He did with Jesus. Now, I think one of the biggest traps that we have in our country today is our busyness and the trap of seeking after success. Well, is busyness a sin? In a way, it can be. I think it's a trap more than it is a sin. But think about it like this. If we are so busy in our lives that we have no room for God whatsoever. We don't spend time in His Word because we don't have time. We don't spend time in prayer because we're so busy. We don't spend time fellowshipping with other believers in church or in other contexts. 
we're just constantly focused on all this other stuff and we're so busy and our lives are so full that we have no room for God. And you can kind of flip that around. We can get in our slothfulness. And I know that's a big word. That's a weird word, slothfulness. And what I mean by that is we can get so lazy that we get ourselves consumed with things like social media and other forms of media and relaxation that we become lethargic and miss what God's doing around us. And there's a balance in there. God does want us to do the very best with what we have. There is nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with doing when you put God in the right place. It only becomes a sin when it separates us from God, when our success gets in the way of our relationship with God. That's where the trap falls into in an American culture. That's where we were. And I think the disruption of 2020 kind of flipped all that around because now people couldn't go into the office. They were struggling. Businesses shut down and they didn't know what to do with themselves. All of a sudden they've got time and they're with their families. And that's why we're talking about all these mental health things because people didn't know how to respond to those things. They weren't centered on their relationship with God. They'd fallen into the trap of this whirlwind of life that's built all around their busy schedule and their busy lives, not around Christ. That's a trap that we all fall into. Even as pastors, we can fall into the trap of doing things for God and not spend time with Him. When we do that, our character begins to deteriorate. Our motives and our, our way of thinking begins to deteriorate. We begin to think that, man, we're on mission for God so we can blur some lines to accomplish that. And it becomes a stumbling block in our relationship with God. And not only in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with others. There are traps all around us. The enemy is always trying to, to, to trap us and to get us off balance. He did it to Jesus. He would send... The Pharisees, who were all about religion, not about relationship, but about religion, and they tried to trip Jesus up with the law. So how do we respond to those things? And that's the second thing today is responding with wisdom and love. That's the second point for today, responding with wisdom and love. I want to go back to verses 4 through 11 and look at how Jesus responded to the trap that the enemy laid for him, that the Pharisees and the religious leaders laid for him. Let's look at verses 4 through 11 again. It says, Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And they're trying to trap him with, into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his fingers. We have no idea what he wrote. Some people believe he wrote out sins. Other things, I don't know. He could have been drawing stick figures. I have no idea what he wrote. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. We don't know what Jesus wrote in the dirt. We, we've talked about that. We could speculate all day. But what we do know is that Jesus acted with wisdom. Wisdom. 
they were trying to trap him and through the wisdom of being fully God as well as fully man, he heard from God. For us, it would be the power of the Holy Spirit. Through wisdom, he responded in a way that defused the situation that that woman's life was saved and the accusers hung their head and walked away. Think about that for a minute. What wisdom to be able to speak in such a way. I don't know. He may have been praying while he was drawing in the dirt. He may have been just thinking about his words. We don't know what Jesus was doing. But here's the thing. Wisdom. That kind of wisdom only comes from God, the Holy Spirit. We've talked a lot about how the Holy Spirit is that part of us, that God's presence in our lives to give us that kind of wisdom and how to respond in those situations when people are trying to trap us, when people are trying to get us to stumble, if we're walking in right relationship with God, He will give us the words to say and the things to do. God does not leave us alone in those situations. He might recall Scripture to your mind. That's why it's important to know Scripture. He might give you a Scripture that you can share or use in that moment or that might guide you through that moment. He might give you or reveal to you a bit of knowledge about the situation that you would not have known had the Holy Spirit not revealed it to you. Think about that. He might just give you the wisdom to respond in an appropriate way. Look, the Holy Spirit's in charge of this situation. We're connected to Him. We're in that relationship with Him. or We're walking with Him. That's why it's so important we stay fresh in that relationship and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us every day so we have the right wisdom for those situations. Look at Matthew 10, 16 through 20 says this, Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Jesus is talking to His disciples. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. But be aware, for you will be handed over to the courts and, and will be flogged with whips and in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how you're going to respond or what you'll say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The power of the Holy Spirit speaking through you at those key moments, at those key times. It doesn't say that you won't go through difficulties. It doesn't say that you won't be falsely accused. It doesn't say that those traps and those troubles won't come. It says that the Holy Spirit will be with you. That He will give you the words to say. He will give you the appropriate way to respond and give you the wisdom. When we're living by the Spirit, we're guided through every situation. Finally, I want to talk about how Jesus responded to the woman caught in adultery. Again, we're going to assume that she actually was caught in the act of adultery. So we see this picture. After everyone's cleared away, he didn't condemn her. He didn't look at her like, you filthy dog. How dare you go do that? Don't you know that, that I could have had you stoned? I could have just said that. He didn't say any of those things. He just said, where are your accusers? They're gone. I don't know. They didn't condemn you. Neither will I. But then he doesn't leave it there. 
He says, now go and sin no more. See, Jesus may treat our sin with grace, especially when we approach him with humility. I have to think this lady was broken and and humiliated, brought out in the middle of a crowd. And he said, look, go. I'm not going to condemn you. But turn from this way of living and sin no more. Sometimes we focus so much on the grace that we forget to turn and walk away. That we forget to go the other direction. We're just thankful, hey, God hasn't struck me dead yet, or God forgives me of that sin. But that repentance is the key part, which means to turn and go the other way. Jesus understood that we're all sinners. That's why he came to earth. You remember, I, I usually quote John 3, 16 and 17 together. I want you to hear John 3, 17. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I'm going to read that again. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus demonstrated both wisdom and love in this situation. Wisdom in how he handled the religious leaders, those that were the accusers, the ones that set the trap. He used cunning wisdom to be shrewd as snakes and as gentle as doves. He was shrewd. Wisdom got him out of that situation. The trap was sprung and he he couldn't be caught. But he used gentleness to deal with this lady caught in adultery and said, go and sin no more. He said the same thing to the man that he healed. When the man came up and found him in the temple, he said, man, go and sin no more. Jesus did not defend or even rebuke the leaders. He simply pointed out where they were sinful and let their sin and shame keep them from throwing those stones. For the lady, he didn't ignore her sin. He acknowledged it, but said, go and sin no more. So I want to wrap up with this. How do we live this way? What can we do? How can we reflect Jesus by living as a reflection of him with wisdom and with love? And I think it's found in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. This is a familiar verse. Paul writes about this. He's going to write about the spiritual battle we have, how we prepare for it, how we live, and so we can respond to people in the right way. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Jesus wasn't fighting against the religious leaders, really. They were just a tool that the enemy was using to trap him and try and derail him. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your guard, putting on the belt of truth, and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent for in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So first thing, remember the battle is not against other people. It's against the evil one that's trying to disrupt us. There is Satan. Satan is real. The enemy, the one that wants to send people to hell with him, the fallen angel. We don't talk about that much, but it is real. We don't want anybody around us to perish and to fall. Jesus didn't want the Pharisees, the religious leaders that were trying to trap them. He wanted them to be saved as much as the lady that he was showing compassion towards. He wants all of us to be saved. There's always going to be enemies that, 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 that will come against us, that, that Satan will use to try and trip us up and to get us to fall and to stumble. They're always going to be there. So put on the armor of God. Put on that, the truth of the gospel, knowing the truth of who Jesus is, the good news of hope in Jesus. Wear that at truth with you all the time, that this world is not your home, that Jesus came and died for your sins so that you could have eternal life, that there is another life. There's hope in that. Hold on to the righteousness of God. It's your shield, the, or it's your breastplate, that righteousness of God, because the Word tells us, Paul writes about it, that God's righteousness, when we come to Him, becomes our righteousness, that we're made right with Him, that our sin is not counted against us anymore, that we have been made right. Walk in peace from the gospel. When we are walking in those things, we're sharing the gospel with other people, and we're sharing it through peace, not through fighting, not through arguing, not through trying to just yell at people until they hear our point, which is why those type of ways of reaching people have never worked because yelling at somebody only causes people to put up a wall. So allow the peace of the gospel to go with you. Protect your mind by remembering your salvation comes from Jesus. Keep that in your mind. Let your mind be renewed so you remember where your salvation comes from. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring it up in your mind. Allow it to fill your life. And then to pray in the Spirit all the time. Pray for believers everywhere. Those are the keys to living and walking with wisdom and love. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, He will empower you to speak with wisdom beyond your comprehension. And He'll give you love and compassion that can only come through Jesus. There are people in our lives that we're going to encounter. They're going to be hard for us to love. There are going to be people in our lives that grade us the wrong way. There are going to be people in our lives that are going to do things intentionally to try and tear us down or trip us up, whether it's out of jealousy, hatred, greed. There's, the list is huge. But let us reflect Jesus. Let us learn from how He handled this situation with wisdom and with love. Wisdom and love. That's how we live like Jesus. That's how we respond to these difficult situations. I want to ask you today as we close this, are you struggling in those situations? Do you feel like you're being attacked on all sides? There's many different kinds of attacks. There's spiritual attacks. It doesn't even have to be a physical person involved. 
where the enemy is just bombarding you with all kinds of things. Go to the Lord in prayer. Go to the people in the church and the fellowship and use the prayer button today and let us pray with you because prayer is the way we fight that battle. Are you being attacked in those things? Allow the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom. Allow Him to bring you comfort, to shield you, to strengthen you. Are you in need of that love and compassion and grace and mercy? Repent of your sins today and allow the Holy Spirit and allow God to give you peace and grace. And are there people around you that are struggling in sin? Show them the love and grace of God and point them to Jesus. Don't condemn them. Their sins already do that. They don't need you to do it as well. But show them the love of Christ so that they can know that love and be set free. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to operate in wisdom and love. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Help us to turn and walk away from it. Lord, we are the ones that need to walk and go and sin no more. But Lord, as we do that, help us to reflect you, to be full of your spirit, to have your wisdom and grace in our lives so that others can come to know you. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. Thank you for calling us to walk with you on this mission. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today, and we'll see you next time.